Welcome to another episode of Bereans Podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean Podcast that starts right now. Devin, I'm the lead pastor here at Brian, and uh, as a pastor, you know, I drive around the town, I represent not only Jesus, but Berean, and I want you to know a little bit about the vehicle that I drive, because it's kind of fancy. It's a 2014, not nearly mint Dodge Caravan, minivan, and sometimes people will be like, oh, pastors in their fancy cars. I know, I know. It's, uh, it's served us well. It's still in kilometers. Right, because it was a Canadian vehicle when we moved down here. So sometimes that's a little confusing when I'm doing 60 kilometers an hour on a highway, but we got it figured out. I'm slowly learning the math in my head. No, largely it's the vehicle that my wife drives. She has, we, she has kids. We have kids. <laughs> and uh, she drives them around more frequently than I do. But even to this day, it's it's kind of a hassle to drive a sweet ride like that when people always want to come up and ask if they can see under the hood and so forth. And the amount of car shows that we've accidentally been waved into, it's fascinating. But a number of years ago, it dawned on me that I didn't know where the spare tire was on this thing. You see, because unlike a Jeep, it doesn't have a spare tire right on the back. Although, that would be pretty cool looking. It doesn't have a spare tire in the, in the trunk, in the boot, right? When you lift that up and look under, there's, it's not there. So I got out the manual and I was looking through it and come to find out it's positioned on the undercarriage of the vehicle between the front two seats. And if I ever needed to get to this, I would have to crank something in the floor, crawl under, reach, and grab it and pull it out. That seemed like a lot of work. So to this day, I have no idea if there is a spare tire in <laughs> that little compartment. And I don't know who owned the vehicle before me. That could have been, this vehicle could have been owned by a drug runners. There could be anything under there. Who knows? We got roadside to protect us, but sometimes in life there are things that we 
know about, but we've never really taken the time to investigate or to explore. Sometimes we don't know what we have or what we need until we need it. And today, I want to talk about a spiritual discipline that's very much like my spare tire. Something that maybe you've heard about that you know is there, but something that perhaps you have no experience with. That when push comes to shove, you've never utilized it. Why? Because you've never investigated. Today, I want to talk about the spiritual discipline of fasting. I want to look at Jesus' words on fasting today, largely out of the Sermon on the Mount. Because someday soon, you might need this. Maybe you're walking through something right now that you would be well served and that God would be delighted if you would pursue him through this via fasting. I want to take some time today and clarify this little talked about, often neglected, spare tire of sorts, spiritual practice. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And I want to say something on the front end here, and I want to be very clear. That I recognize that many people struggle with eating disorders. And if this is you or a loved one of yours, I want to speak to you directly. Because what the Bible has in mind when it talks about fasting has nothing to do with an eating disorder. And if you struggle this way, don't fast. Don't use this as a means or a justification to hurt yourself. If this is you, go without something else. God is a gracious and compassionate Father. He would not want you to compound your hurt and, your, and leverage your vulnerability in a situation like this. So if you come from a background, if you have experiences in struggling with this, let me encourage you to find another means to say no to the flesh, to say yes to God. Now, with that clear, let me invite you to stand as we read Matthew chapter 16. Now, just by way of context, I want to frame this for you. That in this sermon that Jesus is giving, he's been talking about some of the practices and some of the habits of the Christian life. He has talked about giving. He has talked about praying. And here he's transitioning and he's talking about fasting. This is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to him. You can be seated. Now, if you're familiar here with Jesus' teaching 
on, in this sermon, you will see that when it starts with giving, Jesus says, yeah, you're supposed to give. That's a good thing. That's a godly practice that honors God. But it matters how you do it. Your heart matters. So when you give, don't blow a trumpet. Don't give to Berean and expect that we're going to name a wing after you or give you your own row of chairs. Although, for a faith pledge <laughs> of, no, I, I jest. We're not gonna do that. That would dishonor God, as tempting as that may be. And then he goes on, he talks about prayer. When you pray, you're speaking to your Father in heaven. Don't do it to impress other people. Don't do it to impress God. You're his child. Speak to him. And then he transitions and he talks about fasting. And when he speaks about giving, when he speaks about praying, and when he speaks about fasting, He shows us that the heart matters. You see, this is one of the unique aspects of Christian life, theology, and practice. The reality that God is after your heart. That outward conformity isn't the objective, but a transformed heart is. And that transformed heart that is growing in its love and its adoration and its treasuring of Jesus begins to overflow. And that's where we see the practices and the habits come. But you can knock it all out of the park from an outward perspective. You can come to church every week. You can give every week. You can read your Bible on occasion. But if your heart hasn't been transformed, if you're doing it to impress other people or if you're doing it to impress God, It's wasted. It's not honoring to God. It is minimizing the sufficiency of Christ and you are there presenting your own little offerings to God, hoping that he values that more than the death of his son. It's all based on the heart. And so here, in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus speaks about fasting, he's going after your heart. Now let's be precise. What is biblical fasting? Well, fasting is abstaining or avoiding food for spiritual purposes. And people will talk about fasting from chocolate, fasting from meat, from social media, from their phones, from their mother-in-laws, things that are like that. And these are maybe good and godly, except the mother-in-law part, but... Generally speaking, when the Bible speaks about fasting, it involves food because you do not need your phone to survive, to live. It may feel like that at times, but you don't. The reality is we need food to live. And so whenever we practice fasting, we're reminded yet again about our utter and complete dependence on God. It strips away the illusion of self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency, I've got this, I can do it, I can handle this, I can work my way out of this, is perhaps one of my greatest temptations. Because I can research, I can come up with a plan, 
I got some discipline. I can execute. I can think my way out of this. But then you go without food for 12, 24 hours. And you're reminded, and I'm reminded again, of how utterly weak I truly am. It's about saying no to our earthly appetites to say yes to God to a greater degree. It is not simply self-abasement or or hurting the physical to embrace the spiritual. It's about coming to terms with your complete and utter dependence on God for all things. It's about saying no to self to say yes to God. Now, fasting is talked about a lot in the Bible. It's actually mentioned in the Bible more times than baptism is mentioned. Now, that doesn't mean that it's more important than baptism. That's a logical fallacy. Just because the Bible talks about it more times, it doesn't mean that it has more significance, but it is a significant practice that we see come up time and time again throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament. What's interesting is despite the fact that baptism or that that fasting is mentioned so many times in the Bible, It was only prescribed in the Old Testament for one day each year. It was only commanded by God for one day each year. In Leviticus 16 and then Leviticus chapter 23, you read about the Day of Atonement, where God's people were called to fast. And although it's only commanded to be practiced one day, it comes up over and over, which shows us that it wasn't simply a box to be checked, but a response, a desire in the hearts of God's people. Let me give you a few examples from Scripture. Abraham's servant, when he was seeking a bride for Isaac, fasted. Moses fasted on several occasions. Hannah fasted as she prayed for a child. David fasted on a number of occasions. Elijah fasted after his encounter and victory over Jezebel. Ezra fasted when he was mourning Israel's faithlessness. Nehemiah fasted when he was preparing to go back to Israel to rebuild. Esther fasted when God's people were threatened. Daniel also fasted on a number of occasions. The people of Nineveh fasted in response to the preaching of Jonah. I think I heard a sermon on that recently. But Jesus fasted when he began his public ministry. Paul fasted at the point of his conversion. The Christians at Antioch fasted when they sent off Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys. Paul and the others fasted when they appointed elders in the early church. Fasting comes up time and time again. Not only is it a significant feature of the lives of God's people in the Bible, But fasting has played a significant role in the history of the church. In the early church, both east and west, fasting was commonly practiced. In the monastic period, you see this habit explored and practiced over and over. Then you get to the Reformation. You have individuals like Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, John Wesley. There were a lot of Johns back then. Jonathan Edwards, not to be confused with John Edwards. Jonathan Edwards fasted. David Brainerd, Charles Finney, and many, many more Christians throughout history have fasted. John Wesley wouldn't 
ordain a man to gospel work as a pastor unless he was in the practice of fasting weekly. In fact, on this day, April 30th, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln declared a fast, a day of fasting and prayer for the nation. Fasting has a rich history in the Bible, in Christian history, but for some reason, like that spare tire on my minivan, it just gets ignored. And what I want to do today is offer you four foundations for fasting. Four foundations for fasting. Every time I preach on fasting, I, I preach basically the same thing. There are four aspects that you need to understand. There are four foundations to fasting. Now, time out. I know that some of you right now are thinking, see, you went to pastor school, not engineering school. Because four foundations, shouldn't it be one foundation with four pillars and that's not going to meet building code in Dakota County? I know that much. I'm going to call an engineer in and get this remedied. Four foundations. But here's the thing you need to understand. I'm a pastor and I love Jesus and I love alliterations. And so four foundations of fasting. I couldn't help myself. Couldn't help myself. But here's foundation number one. Fasting is expected of Jesus' disciples. It's anticipated. It's an expectation. Look at verse 16. Jesus says this. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Then verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and, and wash your face. When you fast, the expectation, the implication here is that God's people fast. Later on in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 and 15, Jesus makes it even more clear. He has just finished calling Matthew to follow him. And Jesus is there and he's meeting with tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees come to him and they're trying to poke at him and pick at him. And they say to him, Jesus, teacher, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus explains it like this. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away. Then they will fast. You see, what Jesus is saying here is in this season of his earthly ministry, the disciples didn't need to fast to pursue Christ. They needed to literally walk and be with him, walk beside him, open their ears, open their hearts to his teaching, learn from him. He was there with them. But the time was coming when he was going to go away. He was going to be exalted to the heavens. Then it says they will fast. Fasting is expected of Jesus' disciples. Foundation number two, fasting is to be done with the right heart attitude, that your heart matters. Matthew chapter six, back to verse 16, Jesus says this, when you fast, it's expected, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting might be seen by others. When you give, don't blow a trumpet. When you pray, don't try to impress people or impress God with these fancy words. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. 
Your heart matters and how you approach this matters. I contemplated, you know, coming in from, from backstage there and kind of shuffling my feet and looking, looking a little bit uncomfortable and say, oh, guys, could you turn the lights down a bit? I just, I'm sorry, church, I've been, I've been fasting so hardcore lately. Just me and the Lord. Oh, it's such a, such a blissful, blissful event. See, what does that do? What does it do for anyone to walk around looking gloomy, disfiguring your faces, looking for attention? All it does is rob you of your reward because you're not doing it any longer to pursue your father. You're doing it to gain status in other people's eyes. What a waste. Jesus says you don't have to do that. Don't let everyone know. The issue or the problem is not that people know you fast. It's that deep down you actually really want them to. Have you ever met somebody who is bizarrely good at turning conversations to directions that make them look good? Right? They, they can always insert a brag. It doesn't matter what it is, about themselves, about their kids. Right? And you're like, man, it's a gray day out there. And they're like, yeah, well, you know what else is gray? My daughter's stethoscope, because she's a doctor, actually a very famous one. And you, you, like we, we weren't even talking about that, and good for you. And you see them on, on Facebook or on social media, and they're just always trying to promote and, and brag in some way. You don't have to do that. God has something better for you. Don't disfigure your face. Don't look for heart. Don't look for attention. Focus on the heart. And so, again, if you have an eating disorder, abstain from something else from your phone, from social media, from spending. Find another way to go without, to get closer to God. And the heart matters. And our hearts can deceive us. So don't fast if you have a problem in this area. It's hard. I recognize that. Fasting is a difficult practice for many of us to introduce in our lives. And it's not always easy. Sometimes there's temptations. I read about a woman from Omsk, Russia, who was going through a period of fasting during Lent, and she came across a particularly tantalizing and tempting advertisement for a Big Mac. You know, she tried to resist temptation, but she simply couldn't. So she gave in. She broke the fast and slammed down one of those Big Macs. But then it dawned on her that this was McDonald's fault. So she sued. I kid you not, true story. It can be hard. It can be difficult. But the heart matters in this, just like the heart matters in everything. Man is tempted to look on the outward appearance. You, me, we are tempted to evaluate our spiritual life based on simple outward appearances. And while they are a good metric and indicator for what's going on internally, your heart is what matters most. 
Which leads us then to the why. Why fast? Well, foundation number three is this. Fasting can be done for any number of reasons, but you don't actually need to have a specific one. Fasting can be done for any number of reasons, but you don't actually need a reason. It is, fasting is not when you have exhausted all other avenues. Fasting is not a last resort. It is a tool in your toolbox to pursue Christ more deeply. Let me give you a few examples of how you could use fasting. Fast when you have a great need. You can see in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah fasting as she is waiting on God to provide her with a child. During our years of infertility that my wife and I, the Heather and I, walked through, there were seasons in there and days in there where I think we and I would fast, trying to simply, in our situation, cut through all the noise and emotion and simply bring our hearts to God so that he could work and mend and provide hope and find in him what it is that we needed most. Are you facing sickness? Do you require God's provision? Are you looking for God to work in your life? Do you have a great need? Well, consider fasting. You can fast when someone else has a great need. Do you long for God to work in the heart of your prodigal child? Is your friend, your spouse struggling? Is your friend or your spouse struggling with health issues, sickness? Well, consider fasting. Fast when you have a significant decision to make. Paul and the leaders of the early church, they fasted when they were appointing elders. This was a significant and continues to be church, a significant decision. So they fasted. They wanted God's guidance. They wanted to be discerning. You can see this in Acts 14. Are you considering moving? Taking another job? Making some kind of big life decision? Contemplating where to go to school? Well, consider fasting. You can fast when you simply long for more of God. Maybe you're in a season where you're trying to make ground with a couple of flat tires. And you need to swap them out. Maybe you've been walking through this season of your Christian journey with a sense of apathy of dullness. Well, consider fasting, asking God to work and move in your heart to reignite a passion for him, a longing for him. Fast when you want clarity. Sometimes relationships can have conflict. And the conflict gets to such a point that you don't even know what's going on anymore. You don't know why you're still fighting. You don't know why you're not speaking to that sister or that brother. If you need and require and long for more discernment, more wisdom, for clarity, consider fasting. You can fast when you are wrestling with the flesh. Fight flesh with flesh. Fight your addictive appetites by saying no to food. So basically... If you have a big problem or you don't, fasting is a tool, is an opportunity. It's an invitation from God 
to find in him everything that your soul needs. Fasting can be done for any number of reasons. Here's foundation number four. Fasting works best when you have a plan. This is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Because many of us have heard of this, have heard of Christians doing it. Maybe you've read somewhere in the Bible. Maybe you've, you've heard of people doing something like this. But what does this mean for you? Well, if you are going to practice this, you need a plan. And obviously, if you are compromised health, if you have blood sugar issues, you should speak to your doctor before doing this. If you are pregnant, do not fast. If you are nursing, do not fast. All the usual disclaimers. In the 1950s, I read this recently, in the 1950s, car manuals would come with instructions on how to adjust your carburetor. In 2023, car manuals come with a warning that you should not drink the battery acid, right? Common sense is often lacking. And so to you, I would say this, that if you are compromised health, talk to your physician, talk to somebody. Don't be naive in this. Be, do your work, do your research, but provided in assuming that you're able to do this, make a plan. The point is not simply to make it to the finish line, right? Don't be going through a drive-through at 23 hours and 30 minutes, holding that bag in your hand, putting it in your lap, unwrapping the Big Mac and just waiting. Okay, 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 there it is. And the alarm goes off and you just chow back. No, have a plan. The purpose is not to get through it, but to pursue God in it. There's a big difference here. And very simply, I encourage people to do the following. In the period of fasting, if you're going to fast, say, 24 hours, take the time that you would be preparing food, eating food, and cleaning up from eating to pursue God through his word and in prayer. Furthermore, take every hunger pang as an opportunity Consider the the physical discomfort to be a wave that you ride to the heart of God. So you feel that pang of, oof, man, I'm hungry. God, help me to remember that as dependent as I am on physical food, I am even more dependent on you. And there is nothing that I want in this universe more than you. Father, I pray for this need. I pray for this issue. I pray for this problem. I simply pray for more of you. Use the physical discomfort as an opportunity to pursue Christ himself. Now, I know that there's a lot of theological debate on this. and We've seen churches split over the issue, but here's the big question that we have to answer. If you're fasting, can you have a cup of black coffee or not? And I, I know. Some of you, as soon as I mention fasting, you're like, yeah, I can do that, but coffee. What do we do with that? Well, I find it's going to cost you about $20, but you get a bunch of pumps of whipped cream, some caramel, um, big frosting on the top, sprinkles with the chocolate syrup. I find fasting easy when I have three of those. But no, here's what I recommend. 
most of the time when I fast, I'll have black coffee, a cup of, a cup of black coffee. Why? Because I have found it very unproductive to seek God in his word and in prayer when my head's pounding. Now, we can have that discussion, and you can email me about my addiction. <laughs> but I'm addicted to oxygen. If I don't breathe for like two minutes, I pass out, right? So is that, is that not trusting in God? Is that being dependent on, on, on something? No. So I would say this. If this is to be a regular practice and a habit in your life, then consider experimenting with it. Try one season, one day of fasting, and have a black coffee. God bless you. Then the next time, try it without. Simply experiment with it. I highly doubt that God, as your gracious, merciful Father, who has forgiven you in Christ of all of your sins, past, present, and future, is going to look at you having a cup of black coffee and say, well, this is going to be a wasted season because I can't work in your life anymore. Experiment with it. Start maybe with skipping lunch and then go supper to supper. Do it together. Do it as a couple. Do it with your friends. Do it with your small group. Make a plan. I know that many of us here today are sitting here right now thinking, you know what, I think I would like to try that someday. Do you want to know the difference between thinking you'd like to do it someday and actually doing it sometime this month, it's putting it on your calendar. It's coming up with a plan. It's speaking to someone about it. There is a reward to fasting. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 6. He says this, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. We're not told what the reward is. You will never manipulate or twist the arm of the sovereign of all creation. You simply won't. So fasting is not about manipulating God to do your bidding. Fasting is about opening yourself in full dependence on God and pursuing him more deeply. And so, the reward that you gain may be answered prayer. Praise God for that. The reward that you gain from fasting might well be simply more of him. An unshakable confidence in him. Peace even when he says no. Spiritual depth, unlike anything you've ever experienced. There is a reward. There is always a reward to obedience. It can be hard to quantify. I know that. But you will never regret doing what is right. So fasting isn't about manipulating God or twisting his arm. It's a simple act of faith in which you humbly come before your maker and are made aware yet again of your utter and complete dependence. You know, we live in unique times. 
We have so much stuff, so many options, so much food in the pantry and in the kitchen. There are over 80,000 Starbucks drink options that you can make. I'm on 2,376, and it's getting expensive. No, there's so much choice out there. It's easy for us in our day and age to lose sight of our dependence. Maybe your investment portfolio looks really good. Maybe your property values have skyrocketed. Maybe you are debt-free and you are living off of your investments or your incredible income and money is just not an issue. You can do what you want. The food is there. The health is there. Do you recognize what a danger that is to your soul? What a gift it is from God, absolutely, but what a danger it is to be comfortable and complacent. Fasting is an opportunity to strip it all away and to say, whew, I thought I was the man. I thought I was the woman. I thought I had it all under my control. Father, I am so utterly dependent on you. Help me to never lose sight of that. Help me to never lose my hunger for you. And as much as I desire food, Lord, I desire you more. In the coming week, I'm going to invite you to fast. If you're physically able. Our staff as a church, we have been doing this for a few months. The first Monday and the first Tuesday of every month. We have been going from supper Monday night until supper Tuesday night. Eat your supper, a normal supper. You don't, you're not a bear. You don't have to hibernate, right? So eat a normal supper on Monday night and go without. You wake up in the morning and the hunger pangs begin. Have a plan for what you will Ask of God what you will thank God for, what passages you will meditate on. I will be sending out an email tomorrow with just some prayer prompts about where we are as a church and what God has for us in the future and how you and how we as God's people can be praying. How we can be reminded yet again of our utter and complete dependence on him. If you have a lunch meeting, if you have a brunch scheduled, there's no pressure or obligation. You could just choose to do this at a different time. Right? You don't want to be at a work lunch coming up with an elaborate lie about why you can't eat because you swallowed a bee and it stung you and you can't swallow right now, so just going to go without food for the day. No. Find a space. Make a plan. And if you are able, I'm going to be inviting you to fast tomorrow night from supper, after supper, until Tuesday night at supper. If you're able to participate and you would like to join us as a staff, come to the cafe at noon where we have been spending time when we've been doing this, praying, reflecting, discussing, and chewing on God's word. Don't you want more?
I do. Don't you long to know him and experience him to a greater degree? Why wouldn't you then use every tool at your disposal? We're not greater than the saints of the Old Testament. We're not wiser than the apostles in the New Testament. We are not somehow stronger or more prepared to stand and to discern the will of God than the great heroes of the faith throughout church history. This has been a common practice of God's people. Don't let it be a spare tire sitting underneath of your 2014 grand caravan of a life. This is a tool at your disposal to pursue Christ more deeply. My hope and my prayer is that if you are physically able, if this is a wise choice with you based on your history and your struggles with food or not, that if you are able, and if it is wise for you, that you will join us Monday night after supper till Tuesday night at supper. May we as the people of God here at Berean Pursue and revel in Jesus, desiring him above all else. May we, as it is written of Daniel, turn our face to the Lord, seeking him by prayers and pleas for mercy with fasting. Let me pray to this end. Father, I recognize that anything that involves you know, food comes with some baggage. And there are people here right now who have struggled with eating disorders. I pray, Father, that you would protect them. I pray that you would deepen your work in them to give them freedom. Father, for those of us who are more than able, but just haven't yet participated, haven't yet stepped out in this, give us, give each person here a sense of excitement, of of longing, of hope, of experiencing you to a greater degree. We need food to live But God, we need you even more. Every breath in our lungs is a gift from you. Would you shake us of our complacency, shake us of our materialism, shake us of our self-sufficiency until we glory and are content with nothing but you, Jesus. We wanna pursue you through your word. We wanna be a people who pray. We wanna be a people who exercise the spiritual disciplines that we can be rooted in the basics, that we can thrive to the glory of God. I ask this all in the name of Jesus, the one that we pursue. Amen. And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family, or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.